Welcome to the Vitality Radio Podcast, your source for the truth about health, wellness, and real alternatives to drugs, surgeries, and the status quo of healthcare. Here, you'll find information that empowers you to take control of your health. But it's not just about health and wellness. It's about the politics of healthcare and protecting your health freedom. Now, here's your host, Jared St. Clair. Today on Vitality Radio, we're going to talk about some issues that you may think need medical attention, but who knows, you might be able to take care of them at home. We're going to talk about urinary tract infections and sinus infections and leg cramps, and we might even get into gallbladder issues. That's what's up on today's episode of Vitality Radio. I'm Jared St. Clair. I'm your host each and every week right here on Vitality Radio. If you like what you hear on the radio and you are listening to this on the radio and not on the podcast, check out the podcast. I've got 213 episodes up there, not including this one, all kinds of topics. And one that I think is pretty important just was released last week with Dr. Joel Walskog. He was injured uh, during the whole COVID-19 thing, and he's got a story that you need to hear. Episode 211 is that episode of Vitality Radio Podcast. I'd love for you to check it out on any of your favorite podcast apps, or you can go to vitalityradio.com. Vitality Radio always brought to you by Vitality Nutrition in Bountiful at 107 South, 500 West. You can give us a call at 801-292-6662. That's 801-292-6662. And you can also now visit our brand new, state-of-the-art, amazing, beautiful website. I'm actually pretty proud of it. It looks great, and people have liked it really well so far. VitalityNutrition.com. You can check it out for anything that you need to know about health and nutrition. It's going to be a work in progress right now. It's mostly uh, just a lot of great products and a good place to listen to Vitality Radio podcast if you want. But we're going to be adding blog articles and recipes and all kinds of other great stuff very, very soon to VitalityNutrition.com. Okay, let's get right into it. I want to start with something that I have talked about on multiple occasions on Vitality Radio, but I haven't talked about it for a while, and I want to get a little deeper into it today than what I typically do. Before I start, though, I want to remind you that I am not a doctor, and I'm certainly not your doctor, and anything that you hear from me on Vitality Radio does not represent anybody but myself and my opinions and you get to use those things at your own risk. I do believe in every word that I'm telling you, and I am a big fan of natural remedies and things to help prevent the need for pharmaceutical interventions or medical procedures, but my advice does not replace the advice of your healthcare professional. So let's jump into this. Sinus infections. First question that I think needs to be asked is this. Do I need antibiotics for every sinus infection? Now, according to Cleveland Clinic, 
which is one of the most respected sorry, medical clinics in America. Uh, they say many sinus infections are caused by viruses, the ones that cause the common cold. These types of infections are not cured or effectively treated by antibiotics. Taking an antibiotic for a viral infection unnecessarily puts you at risk for side effects related to the antibiotic self, itself. In addition, the overuse of antibiotics can lead to antibiotic resistance, which may make future infections more difficult to treat. In fact, statistics bear this out. 85% of sinus infections are viral and not bacterial, and yet about 85% of sinus infections are treated in America with antibiotic prescriptions. In America, in fact, one of every five antibiotics prescribed is prescribed for a sinus infection. And remember, of which 85% cannot effectively be treated by antibiotics. Now, we talk a lot or hear a lot, and, and, and I don't know how much, honestly, is uh, coming across your airwaves, whatever you're listening to outside of Vitality Radio, but I certainly see it a lot that even the World Health Organization, the CDC, the FDA, they're all sending out warnings saying, hey, we're overdoing this antibiotic thing and telling doctors to quit prescribing antibiotics for things like sinus infections unless they absolutely know that it is a bacterial infection itself. And yet, one in five antibiotics prescribed. We could eliminate 20% of the antibiotics prescribed in this country if we just quit prescribing them for sinus infections. That would be absolutely huge because antibiotic-resistant bacteria creates things like C. diff and MRSA and these types of issues that are potentially deadly, very, very difficult to treat. And we're hitting sinus infections with these things when 85% of them are viral and many others aren't bacterial. They can even be fungal. In fact, underlying chronic sinus infections, it is believed by many experts, are primarily fungal, and antibiotics don't do well on fungus either. One study done by the CDC showed that there were, was virtually zero difference in symptoms or time to clear sinus infection with a placebo versus an antibiotic. However, those receiving antibiotics were far more likely to experience side effects and recurring infections. So what do you do if you have a sinus infection? Because they can be miserable. Right? They can cause a lot of pain, headaches, uh, congestion, discomfort, difficulty breathing so you can't sleep well at night, and all the things. Nobody loves a sinus infection, for sure. So the question is, what can be done? Well, I would say that the best thing I've ever seen, anecdotally, not clinically, but anecdotally, is simple colloidal silver. Now, there's two things you can consider. I Well, I'm going to say three. Three natural remedies that you can consider that I think are really, really effective based on what I've seen. One is nebulizing food-grade hydrogen peroxide or rinsing your sinuses with food-grade hydrogen peroxide with like a neti pot or nasopure, which is my preferred form of neti pot. You can also just simply wash, rinse with saline. But what I've seen that works better than anything I've ever found is not rinsing the nose with colloidal silver, but actually using a straight colloidal silver spray directly into the nostril and doing it repeatedly throughout the day. A couple of squirts 
up each nostril, huffing it up really high like this, you know, getting it all the way up into those sinus cavities and allowing the silver to do its job because the uniqueness of colloidal silver is that it is not just antibacterial, it's also antiviral and antifungal. Now, interestingly enough, colloidal silver has come under a tremendous amount of attack from the powers that be, I personally believe, because it's too much competition. I, I really believe that that's the case. Not everybody will agree with me on that, but hey, follow the money, right? So colloidal silver can be easily had for not much money over the counter. The little sinus sprays can be anywhere from like $10 to $20. That's a whole lot cheaper than the alternative, a doctor's visit plus a prescription, right? And kind of worst case scenario with colloidal silver as a nasal spray, based on the research, is simply that it doesn't work. But it's not harmful. It's considered very, very safe, especially if you're using it occasionally as simply as a nasal spray. But why aren't there clinical trials on sinus infections? The answer is, well, nobody has funded one. And I would love to see one funded, but there have been other types of trials that have been funded on colloidal silver. And let's talk about some of those results. All the way back in 1976, when I was a wee lad of four years old, that was a year before my store, Vitality Nutrition, was even open. A clinical study by Dr. Robert O. Becker and colleagues who demonstrated that electrically generated silver ions at less than two parts per million, we're talking about a tiny, tiny amount of silver uh, had greater fungicide properties than much more concentrated silver compounds such as silver sulfadiazine and silver nitrate. Silver nitrate is often used in, in the eyes of babies when they're born to prevent infection. Dr. Becker said his colleagues concluded that all fungal organisms, now I want you to hear this, this is important, all fungal organisms were inhibited by a silver concentration of about 4.7 parts per million, and fungicidal concentrations of silver as low as 1.9 million uh, could eliminate most fungal organisms. But all were eliminated at 4.7 parts per million. Now, the average colloidal silver nasal spray might be 10 to 30 parts per million. So double to six times that concentration, and yet they found at 4.7 parts per million, it was effective against all fungal organisms. That is big. In the breakthrough study um, where they looked at nanosilver against white rot of the green onion. Okay, now this is important. Don't worry, I'm not getting too far in the weeds here, but this is important. I want you to just get an idea of just how powerful colloidal silver can be for fungus. There was a breakthrough study published in March of 2010, the issue uh, of the Journal of Microbiology. Researchers found that colloidal silver handily demolishes uh, a fungi known to infect and destroy crops and other plants. Indeed, the researchers found that applying varying levels of silver nanoparticles, which is a form of colloidal silver, to the roots of green onion plants completely, completely eradicated 
the fungal infections. The researchers concluded, nanosilver liquid for the prevention of various plant pathogenic fungi is highly recommended to farmers. Additionally, the use of nanosilver does not cause any harm to human beings, and it is safe for the environment and agricultural products. In conclusion, we can say that by using nanosilver liquid, environmental pollution, and the excessive use of chemical compounds in the field can be reduced. It is expected that the application of nanosilver at low concentrations will be economical, eco-friendly, and decrease farm management costs. So, just another example of clinical evidence that colloidal silver is extremely effective against fungi. How about thrush? You know, in the mouth when your tongue gets uh, coated with that white uh, candida, uh, either albicans or candida glabrata. Yeah, that's oral thrush. Well, in 2012, there was a study in applied microbiology, uh, letters in applied microbiology, sorry, the journal. Researchers looked at the use of different sized silver nanoparticles to determine their antifungal properties in thrush. The researchers determined that a simple mouthwash containing silver nanoparticles could quite easily resolve stubborn oral fungal infections. The two yeasts uh, studied are common causes of oral thrush and uh, other dental issues that fungal um, that, that happen with people who wear dentures, known as dental stom- stomatitis. Infections like these are particularly difficult to treat because the fungal microorganisms involved form protective biofilms that prevent prescription antifungal drugs from working. The researchers found that all sizes of silver nanoparticles tested were equally effective at killing the yeasts. Now, that I'm aware of, nobody has funded a study, like I said, on colloidal silver for sinus infections. However, the anecdotal evidence on sinus infections specifically is overwhelming. Even just the evidence of people I know personally who have wiped out acute and chronic sinus infections, people that are getting them four or five, six times a year, is kind of staggering, actually. And the thing that I have found, and, and again, this is anecdotal, and again, I'm not your doctor, But this is important because sinus infections, it's nearly impossible to die. Now, a sinus infection can lead to meningitis in extreme, extreme cases, but it almost never happens. Sinus infections are basically miserable until we clear them, and most people clear them within 7 to 10 days without any treatment. So there's no real risk involved in using colloidal silver for a few days to see if you can knock it out quicker. And my experience has been that you can do exactly that for very little money. It's very simple. I recommend a couple of sprays up each nostril about five to six times a day. And we see phenomenal results. It really is that simple. I believe, and I'm not the only one that believes this, but I believe that most people dealing with chronic sinus infections have an underlying fungal infection in the sinus that is sinuses that has been caused likely by repeated use of antibiotics for sinus infections or other issues. And therefore, the body's, the, the sinus cavity no longer has the defenses it needs to fight off a fungal intruder, which then can lead to chronic post-nasal drip, uh, chronic runny nose, chronic congestion, chronic sinus infections. And when you use colloidal silver, You can get on top of those without wiping out the good bacteria. And then the key is this. Rebuild your bacteria, your microbiome, which can only be done 
through probiotics, and particularly, I have found spore-forming probiotics to be the very, 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 very best. There is one in particular called Precision Probiotic. It is my formula. I'm completely biased, but it works. It absolutely works, and it's based on the research that was done by a microbiologist that I respect very, very much. The education I've received on spore-forming probiotics over the last 12 to 13 years is really absolutely beautiful. What I've learned has helped me so much with helping people with these chronic issues. And so the Precision Probiotic, which I recommend for anybody with chronic infections, really chronic infections of any kind, sinus infections, yeast infections, urinary tract infections, you name the infection. If you're getting it chronically, it usually will indicate that you have an imbalance of your microbiome. So using a probiotic once a day, Uh, The precision probiotic in particular, once a day for three to six months can help to rebuild and restructure and repopulate the good guys in the gut, the sinuses, and the other places where these bacteria reside and recalibrate your defenses against these types of infections. So phase one is the colloidal silver directly into the nostrils. What we found with colloidal silver for so many other pathogens is when it can come into actual contact, in other words, if you put it in vitro in a Petri dish with a bacteria, a virus, or, or a fungi, it wipes it out in almost every single case. They've found very few things that colloidal silver doesn't work on. And so if you can get it where the infection lies, up into the sinus cavity, voila, it works like a charm. How about urinary tract infections? Now, urinary tract infections are a little bit different. Colloidal silver actually does show some benefit in urinary tract infections. Absolutely. However, I've found something that's even more effective and has excellent clinical data uh, where silver does not for urinary tract infections. And that is something called D-mannose. It's a simple sugar that doesn't raise blood sugar. So it's safe for diabetics, safe for hypoglycemics. Worst case scenario with D-mannose is you take a sweet powder and water that tastes just like sugar, and it doesn't work. But what they found is that as a preventative measure for urinary tract infections, these are all published data, studies that are found on PubMed, the CDC's own website, that using it prophylactically, D-mannose, at two grams per day, one level teaspoon for six months, it showed very promising results with people with chronic infections, getting them more than three to four times a year, had only 4.5% of those people had a recurrence, 4.5% after a six-month period on D-mannose. That's truly remarkable. I also found a study, uh, or sorry, study after study, as I was reading through this, I found at least eight, and I stopped there, there were probably more, that continued to say, yes, D-mannose works as well as or better than antibiotics with virtually no side effects. And it can be used both prophylactically, like what I just discussed, or as an active or on an active infection with amazing results. It appears to be close to, if not 100% effective in E. coli infections of the urinary tract, of which 90% are E. coli. So, Of the infections that people get that are urinary tract infections, 90% on average are E. coli and D-mannose used as directed specifically for these infections is about 100% effective at clearing those types of infections. It also appears to reduce reinfection by at least 85%. And I've seen studies as the one that I 
um, discussed right at the beginning that shows that it's more like 95% effective at preventing it at just one serving a day. It's not an expensive thing to use. Uh, it's, you know, a six-month supply. If you're using it once a day, it's going to be somewhere in the neighborhood of 40, 50 bucks. And so, you know, five, six, or well, what is it? Six to 10 bucks a month or something like that. I didn't do the math prior to the show, but somewhere in that range. It tastes like sugar. It's not hard to do. Now, there is one challenge. If you have an active infection, you have to use it a little more precisely. You mix a teaspoon in about, four to six ounces of water, and you swallow that. Then you have to wait about 45 minutes to an hour before you drink a glass of water. The reason for the wait is you have to have the D-mannose in the urinary tract for an extended period of time. And the reason for that is that it has to actually be there to create what is called an anti-adherence factor. Now, most people have heard of cranberry juice or cranberry capsules for urinary tract infections, and they're quite effective, actually. Cranberry juice is probably the least beneficial, in my opinion, simply because it has a lot of sugar in it. Uh, cranberry concentrate's a little different story. You can use that, but it's quite bitter and uh, very, very tart, and not everybody likes it. But D-mannose seems to trump cranberry across the board based on what I've seen, especially when you look at the scientific literature on this. So if you have an active infection, you're doing that four times a day for about three days. That one level teaspoon, two grams of D-mannose, in four to six ounces of water, drink it, wait about 45 minutes, and then drink a glass of water. You're doing that four days, four times a day for three days. Then you're going to do it three times a day for three days, then two times a day for three days, and then once a day for a month or so to make sure that everything's cleared, and then you're using it kind of preventatively at that point. And if you're getting chronic infections, you would want to use it once a day, potentially long-term. Although I do believe, and I have seen, that people that rebuild their gut with the the aforementioned probiotic, the precision probiotic, uh, over time usually don't have to rely on D-mannos daily at all. But if you do have to rely on it daily, if that's what it takes, not that big of a deal because like I say, it's very inexpensive. It tastes good. It's easy to use if you're just using it the once a day. So absolutely love the D-mannos. If you have questions on that, of course, call us. We'll be happy to help you out at Vitality Nutrition, 801 292 6662 in Bountiful, and we'll be happy to answer your questions on exactly how to use it. And again, I'm going to remind you, I am not your doctor, so uh, you know anything I'm recommending here is my opinion, but it is based on scientific evidence there. Now, let me tell you a personal story that I had happen to me this morning, okay? <laughs> this is fresh. 7 a.m., I wake up, ah, wow. I got a cramp, a big one in my calf. Now, I've been experimenting with a different diet than what I've ever done before. It's totally grain-free. Very, very interesting. But one thing about grains is they can be a good source of potassium. Now, I've been supplementing magnesium. And if you know me, you know I love magnesium. And I'm going to recommend magnesium to just about anybody that will listen to me. And in most cases, if you get chronic uh, in, or I was going to say infections, sorry, last topic. If you get chronic cramping in your muscles, particularly what they call nocturnal cramping, uh, you know, overnight in your feet, your toes, or your legs, it's usually a magnesium deficiency. But I'm supplementing magnesium as much as I ever have. I don't think that's the case. In fact, I've even bumped up my magnesium. And I think it is potassium deficiency in this case. So I am starting to take potassium, which I don't typically take, to kind of, you know, take care of that uh, dietary deficiency. 
But what happened when I got this cramp? Well, I stretched it out. It was still very tender. So I rubbed apple cider vinegar, but not just any apple cider vinegar, what's known as the old Amish leg cramp formula directly into that muscle. And oh my gosh, how quickly does it relieve it? It's unbelievable within a minute. And then I swigged a little bit of it. It's pretty strong, but that combination has worked for me anytime I've ever had a cramp. I don't cramp often, but I've only woken up with a cramp three or four times in my life. And the first time I didn't know what to do, but ever since, thankfully I've had the old Amish formula and that has done the trick. Truly an amazing product. It works through acidifying uh, the blood very, very quickly, which then releases these electrolytes from uh, or into the bloodstream, which then can help to relax and calm down the cramping. Also, it creates it has acetic acid, which is a precursor to acetylcholine, and acetylcholine actually is a s- signals in the brain to stop cramps. So very, very interesting stuff. Very effective. We love the old Amish formula. We love the precision probiotic to get on top of these chronic infections. Colloidal silver for sinus infections. My absolute unquestioned favorite thing for sinus infections, one of the most simple things that we can do. And I think it's so important because it keeps us away from antibiotics that are being overused and overprescribed in this country. And then D-mannose, one of my other big favorites for urinary tract infections for the very same reason, extremely safe, extremely effective, and gets us away from antibiotics. Again, I'm not your doctor, but Those are the remedies that I recommend. I'm going to have to cut to a quick break. When I come back, I'm going to talk about gallbladders. I'm going to talk about gallstones, and I'm going to talk about another kind of personal story, but also some other information on gallbladders and all that good stuff. When we come back, I'm Jared St. Clair, and this is Vitality Radio. After decades of helping people with their nutritional supplement needs, I have observed something that seems almost universal. People seem to have a lot of products that they have experimented with. Some might have been recommended by a blog or online, others from a magazine article, and yet another by a friend or family member. Information is coming at us at a rapid pace nowadays, and everyone has an opinion. The problem is that there is only one really big wild card in health and nutrition, and that wild card is you. I know you've heard the infomercials, seen the ads, or talked to that neighbor who has that cure-all product that can do it all for your health. The problem is, that supplement doesn't exist. What's right for your neighbor isn't always right for you. At Vitality Nutrition, we've been asking the right questions for years. What I mean by this is, we don't just sell supplements. We consult with our clients and ask them the key questions needed to make sure we match the right supplement to the right person. If you feel better about a team approach to your health, give us a call, and one of our well-educated Vitality team members will answer your questions and help you find just what it is that you need to address your health concerns, naturally. You can reach us at 801-292-6662, that's 801-292-6662, or drop us an email, info at vitalityradiopod.com. That's info at vitalityradiopod.com. 
Welcome back to Vitality Radio. I'm your host each and every week. My name is Jared St. Clair. It's good to be with you again on this episode. In the first half, we talked about sinus infections, and we talked about urinary tract infections, and we talked about leg cramps, and I love doing shows like this because what I've found is there are a lot of people who just don't have this information. And it's pretty simple information. Once you understand it, it's not hard to use it, but it's just not widely distributed. If you go to your doctor for many of these things, there's just a simple kind of protocol that's followed and they do what they do. And most people just assume that they know what they're doing. Now, I'm not your doctor and I don't pretend to be your doctor. I'm not anybody's doctor for that matter. And yet, this information, it's out there, it's available, it's incredibly helpful, and it can prevent years of just the cycle of infection after infection, antibiotic after antibiotic. If you didn't hear the first half of the show, uh, you're listening on radio, check it out on the Vitality Radio podcast. Uh, You can go to any of your favorite podcast apps or vitalityradio.com. And also check us out on the brand new vitalitynutrition.com where we have everything you need to take care of your health and nutrition needs. You can go there and link to listen to the show. You can go there and check out uh, the products that you need to optimize your health. And if you have questions on anything you hear on the show and you want to talk to somebody specifically about that, just give us a call, 801-292-6662. That's 801-292-6662. Now, in this half of the show, we're going to talk about a little, I'm going to say, how do I word this? A very underappreciated little tiny part of the human body known as your gallbladder. Now, if you don't have your gallbladder, if somebody took it from you in a surgical procedure, you may know that you don't necessarily know what you had until it was gone. But if you've still got your gallbladder, like I do, thank goodness, then what I'm going to do is educate you on what you can do to make sure that it is working right and that you can keep it right where it belongs. But this next 20 minutes, we're going to talk about not just your gallbladder and keeping it and restoring optimal function, clearing gallstones, all of that kind of stuff. But if you do not have a gallbladder, unfortunately, you can't put it back, but we have some things that can help you with optimal function minus the gallbladder. So we'll get into that as well. So this should really appeal to just about anybody that has any concern about that part of the body. And it's something I haven't gone into great detail on, so I'm excited to do it right now. So first, let's talk about what the gallbladder actually does, because frankly, I think most people simply don't know. Your gallbladder is a small pear-shaped organ that stores and releases bile. Bile is the fluid your liver produces that helps digest fat in the food you eat. Now, This is all from Cleveland Clinic. Now, Cleveland Clinic, in my opinion, is one of the better medical establishments in this country. A lot of the information they post, I believe, is actually much more forward-thinking than some other uh, sites such as WebMD or uh, Harvard uh, Medical or what's the other big one that people use? Now I'm drawing a blank on it. 
well, shoot, I can't remember. But regardless, I actually like the Cleveland Clinic for the most part, and I don't disagree with a lot of what they say here, but there are a couple of things that I'm going to take exception to here in just a moment. But let's continue with their article. Where is the gallbladder located? Your gallbladder is located in the upper right part of your abdomen. It sits just underneath your liver. Its function is that it is part of your digestive system. Its main function is to store bile, which is produced in your liver. And the reason it stores it is because you don't always need a specific amount of bile at, at any given time, or, or, or sorry, a general amount of bile at any given time. What you need is a lot of bile when you've just ingested a lot of fat and not really any bile unless that happens. The gallbladder is this beautiful little invention made by a guy that I think knew what he was doing when he created us, and that is that it holds on to the bile until you actually need it. There is real value in that, and you're going to understand that a little bit better as we move along here. But what bile does is it helps the digestive system to break down fats. Bile is a mixture of mainly cholesterol and bilirubin and bile salts. So how does the gallbladder help other organs? Well, your gallbladder is connected to other parts of your digestive system through a series of what are called bile ducts. The biliary tract, sometimes also known as the biliary system or biliary tree, is a pipe-like system that carries bile from your liver to your small intestine. What does the gallbladder do? Before you start eating, your gallbladder is full of bile. When you start eating, your gallbladder receives signals to contract and squeeze the stored bile through the biliary tract. The bile eventually finds its way to your largest bile duct, which is known as a common bile duct. The bile passes through the common bile duct into the duodenum, which is the first part of your small intestine. That's where your food ends up right after it dumps out of your stomach. It then mixes with that food that is waiting to be fully digested. After you eat, your gallbladder is empty and resembles a deflated balloon waiting to be filled up again. Now, the beauty of this system is, is super simple, but it's kind of complex because even when we just first taste a fatty food, our body is signaling all the way down beneath our liver to the gallbladder that it needs to start doing its job so that by the time the food gets down our throat, into our stomach, and empties into the duodenum, we have the bile there to do what needs to be done. It's really quite beautiful how it works. So what kind of problems can happen with the gallbladder? Well, gallstones. Gallstones are pebble-like objects made of bile material that... Uh, forms into a fairly hard substance uh, and can actually block the bile ducts. They can be as tiny as grains of sand or they can get as large as a golf ball. They're usually harmless, but they certainly can cause pain, nausea, and inflammation. Now, I've experienced this myself. There was a time in my life where I ate less well than I do now and took less good care of myself uh, than I now do. And I had to figure out what the heck was going on when I felt so nausage, nausage, nauseous I'm sorry, and so much pain. And I figured out that it was actually my gallbladder. Gallstones had formed and had blocked some of these ducts. And if you've ever been through it, it's, it can be nightmarish. It's no fun at all. And I'll tell you, people who go get their gallbladder removed, 
they do it because they can't have another gallbladder attack. It is far too painful. People can end up on things like morphine. Uh, I mean, it, it can be a miserable, miserable, miserable experience. And if people don't know that there's an alternative, I don't blame them for wanting to have the thing removed. You don't ever want that to happen again. So gallstones can lead to what's called cholecystitis. Cholecystitis is inflammation of your gallbladder, and it can occur when a gallstone blocks bile from from exiting your gallbladder. Cholecystitis causes fever and pain and, according to Cleveland Clinic, usually requires surgery. Now, most gallbladder issues are treated with the removal of your gallbladder. Surgery is to remove your gallbladder is called a cholecystectomy. Your gallbladder is not an essential organ. Now, I'm going to come back to that in a minute. Your gallbladder is not an essential organ. This means you can live a normal life without a gallbladder. Well, that sounds great. When a surgeon removes your gallbladder, bile will flow out of your bile ducts directly into your digestive system instead of being stored in your gallbladder first. Surgeons can perform this a couple of different ways. There's what's called laparoscopic uh, cholecystectomy or open cholecystectomy. But cholecystectomy, it's going to run you about nine dollars to $18,000. And, and that's not good, right? Nobody wants to pay that kind of money, but maybe your insurance covers most of that. But I'll tell you what, many a boat has been purchased from the profits made from gallbladder removal. And I believe personally, and again, this is only my opinion, that most gallbladders could have been saved. So let's go back to that little comment there that I want to I want to just flesh out a little bit. Your gallbladder is not an essential organ. This means you can live a normal life without a gallbladder. Okay, I get it. You know what? We've got two kidneys. They're not both essential. We need one of them, but we don't need both. We have two for a reason. I have to assume that it wasn't just an accident that we ended up with two of them, but we don't need two of them. You don't technically need your arms or your fingers or your legs. None of those are essential. You can live life without them. But when they say you can live a normal life without a gallbladder, uh, I beg to differ, at least based on most of the people I've talked to who've had theirs removed. Sure, your life is relatively normal, but your digestive system is no longer normal, and that can create a lot of problems. And did you know, maybe you've experienced it, that you can still have a gallbladder attack without a gallbladder? Because you can still get bile stuck in those biliary ducts, and you can have an attack as if your gallbladder were still there. And if you do ever have that after having your gallbladder removed, and you've struggled with digesting fats after having your gallbladder removed, talk about buyer's remorse. I've certainly talked to a lot of people who have it. Now, the reason I'm talking about this this week is because I know someone who knows, I'll say very little about nutrition, uh, hasn't really been steeped in the natural world like I have my whole life, and she was lined up to have gallbladder removal surgery but she had to wait three months to get in. And yet, in the meantime, severe nausea, pain, discomfort with every meal, significant lack of uh, appetite because everything she ate hurt. And I was fortunate enough to know someone who knows her, and I was able to uh, give her some advice on something she could do to make herself feel better now, but 
potentially also prevent that surgery from happening at all. So what did I recommend? You know what? It is so simple. Now, I do not pretend to know that this will happen, that this will work every time. In fact, I believe there are times when the gallbladder is potentially too far gone. I've talked to some medical experts who I trust who frankly know more about the human body than I do and more about the gallbladder than I do that say that at a certain point, surgery probably is the only good option. However, I believe that the vast majority of these surgeries can be prevented, and these experts that I consulted with absolutely concur with that opinion. So how do we do it? Is it some crazy uh, you know, herbal supplement with a bunch of different things in it? Is it a massive diet change? No, it's actually really simple. Now, I will say that a diet change can make a big difference. If you're eating a lot of fried foods, for instance, you know, French fries and chips and all that sort of thing, you are probably setting yourself up for a, a higher likelihood of gallstones and gallbladder issues uh, because your body has to work overtime to break down those types of fats that have been absolutely obliterated through multiple different levels of frying uh, when they're produced in the first place and then they're put in the deep fryer with the food, it does cause issues. So when you're at the state fair this summer and they offer you a deep fried Twinkie, you know what to say. But aside from dietary changes, which frankly are always your best option when it comes to your health, if you're not eating well, and if you're not really educating yourself on what eating well means, because I have people all the time that say, oh, I eat, I eat healthy. And then I ask them what they eat and maybe their version of healthy isn't actually my version of healthy. And my version of health, healthy may not be the optimal version for you anyway. But educate yourself on that. Learn how what healthy eating really looks like. And don't assume just because all the rage is about plant protein and plant-based diets that that is the healthy way to eat. We can also look at ancestral things and we can look at other options. You can even look at things that are a little more extreme, such as the carnivore diet. Ooh, that one used to spook me out a lot. I thought, how could anybody eat just carnivore, meaning basically just eating meat and actually be healthier because of it? Until I started looking at it and recognizing that people actually do, that there are thousands of people in groups across this country and other countries that are literally eliminating autoimmune disease through eating carnivore. Now, that's a sidetrack, but you're going to hear me talking more and more about some of the, what I just consider to be simple fallacies when it comes to diet. You've heard me talk about how they used to tell us that margarine was healthier than butter. Uh, what a crock that was, right? A country crock, I suppose. But there are a lot of things that we're being fed, both literally being fed down our throats as well as in our minds that simply aren't true when it comes to diet. So again, kind of sidetracked there for a little bit. But one thing that we know is that changing your diet for the better absolutely will make you healthier than, frankly, any supplement that I can sell you or any pharmaceutical that you can get from Big Pharma. 
So back to your gallbladder. What can you do? If you're dealing with gallbladder issues, you're dealing with that nausea, the pain, whether it's occasional and, and minor stuff or severe stuff, the kind that could land you in the emergency room, believe it or not, the best remedy is simply apple juice. Apple juice is loaded with something called malic acid. And malic acid has been shown to actually reduce and, well, actually thin bile, therefore reducing the size of gallstones. Apple juice, believe it or not, that whole apple a day thing might not have been too far from the truth. Apple juice is very, very effective. And it's even more effective, in my opinion, and this is more opinion than it is clinical. We actually have clinical evidence, though, believe it or not, that simply apple juice Simply apple juice can handle gallstones in many cases, but adding apple cider vinegar, raw, unfiltered apple cider vinegar, you know, the kind with the mother uh, that you pick up at your health food store, apple cider vinegar along with apple juice may be your best one-two punch that you can do for gallstones. Now, there's a variety of ways that you can do this. What I recommend is adding a tablespoon of your apple cider vinegar to about a cup of apple juice and kind of sipping on that multiple times a day. This is when you're struggling. This is not preventative. Preventatively, simply a tablespoon or two of apple juice a day, maybe mixed with some raw honey, is a great, great remedy for prevention of this kind of thing. And I've seen excellent results with that, both personally and with people that I've talked to who have used this. Lots of anecdotal evidence and, and this is what I've done for myself when I've had, I've had about three of these before I figured out what to do or what not to do with my diet to where I haven't had one since. But I've had three of those gallbladder attacks and apple juice and apple cider vinegar. That's all I did. It's just not that hard. This individual I was telling you about who will remain uh, anonymous, uh, she experienced a significant improvement in symptoms within the first six hours. Within the first six hours, a significant improvement in symptoms. That's amazing when you consider that she was lined up for surgery down the road. Now, I've found something that I believe is even better than apple cider vinegar and apple juice, although I still recommend adding apple juice to the mix if you're having a, a, a persistent acute problem with gallstones. And that is something that's actually made locally right here in Utah where I'm at called Gallbladder Complete. Now, Gallbladder Complete is a really unique formula. Uh, it is based in apple cider vinegar, so it does have your vinegar right on board there. It's a little bit of a unique apple cider vinegar that is a little uh, more active than most apple cider vinegars, according to the manufacturer. Now, apple cider vinegar, one of the reasons it works is because it has acetic acid in it. And acetic acid is even more acidic than is malic acid. And it is believed that the acetic acid and the malic acid from the apple juice and the apple cider vinegar is actually what thins the bile, which allows then the bile to move through the bile duct instead of the gallstones getting stuck in the bile duct. So gallbladder complete can be used uh, a few times a day if you're really struggling. That's what I gave to this individual I'm telling you the story about and then asked her to drink a lot of apple juice. And then it can also be used uh, preventatively at one serving a day. Although I have found, frankly, that vinegar itself, just apple cider vinegar preventatively, is a fantastic option. Um, absolutely. Okay, so those are some things that you can do to prevent losing your gallbladder. And I highly recommend 
highly recommend doing just that, giving that a shot. There is, you can't get it back once it's been removed. And while Cleveland Clinic and Mayo Clinic and so many others believe that the gallbladder is a non-essential organ, it's not non-helpful. That's for sure. It's something you want. It makes sense that when you need the bile, it is on hand and ready, as opposed to having a constant slow drip of it coming from the liver directly into the system, into the intestinal tract, when you most of the time don't need it. Okay, so I've got a few more minutes here on the show before we've got to wrap it up. And now I want to talk to you who no longer have a gallbladder because I don't want you to feel bad about yourself. It is what it is. You were obviously, uh, well, okay, that's a little strong. You were likely misled. It probably could have been saved. And maybe now you're struggling and you're thinking, well, I'm just going to struggle with fatty foods the rest of my life. I've talked to dozens and dozens and dozens of people who have told me that. And the truth is that that's partially true. You probably will struggle with fatty foods for the rest of your life unless you do something about it. Now, what's the best way to replace what the gallbladder does? Well, the best way is to introduce bile into your system when you eat a fatty meal the same way as your body would have done with your gallbladder. And the simplest way to do that is with something that is essentially bio-identical bile, and that is something called ox bile. It comes from a cow because they have bile too that does the same thing as our bile does. So it's found in capsules, so you don't have to taste it. It's very simple to take. And when you eat a fatty meal, if you A, have a gallbladder but struggle with stones, adding ox bile to those fatty meals can be very, very useful. But if you, B, do not have a gallbladder, ox bile is extremely beneficial. Now, ever since I figured out that my gallbladder was causing problems and that I'd had issues with it and I'd figured out this apple cider vinegar and apple juice remedy, I have ox bile on hand all the time. I have it at my office and I have it at home. And if I am going to eat a high-fat food, a high-fat meal, Healthy fat or not, most of the fat I'm eating right now is very healthy fat, but it's still, the body still has to digest healthy fats as well. Then I will take a capsule of ox bile, but I don't do it very often, only if it's a pretty high fat meal. And frankly, I don't seem to need the ox bile much. But if you don't have a gallbladder, oftentimes it is an absolute godsend. It's the closest thing to replacing your gallbladder that you can do because you're at least then introducing the right amount of ox bile to the digestive system when it actually needs it, as opposed to the slow drip you've got going on now. There's another enzyme that as, as we age, we get less and less production of digestive enzymes. And there's a specific digestive enzyme for fat known as lipase. Now, lipase is not something that goes away with the gallbladder. Lipase is produced at the pancreas level and it's produced in the salivary glands and, and in other places, but those are the two primary places for the digestive system. But as we age, we get less and less production of lipase and there's more and more lipase needed if we don't have a gallbladder. So taking digestive enzymes that are high in lipase along with ox bile can be an absolute life changer, game changer when it comes to your digestive system post 
gallbladder removal. And I've had so many people have such great results with that combination that I recommend it whenever I get the chance for someone who no longer has a gallbladder. And I will tell you, if you don't have a gallbladder and you think, you know what, I'm fine. I, I don't really struggle. Every once in a while I have a meal, you know, I eat a cheeseburger and fries and I have a problem, but not very often. Generally, I'm good. Well, there's two approaches you can take. When you eat a meal that you say, you know what, this one is kind of a gut bomb and it is high in fat, maybe I should do something, then just have the ox bile and the lipase when you need it. But other people have told me that when they take it with every meal, at least every meal that has a decent amount of fat in it, it changes how they feel in so many other ways. Not only do they not get pain and discomfort and gas and bloating and things like that, but they feel lighter after their meals. That seems to be the word I hear. Not so heavy as they used to feel after their meals. They don't find that they're as fatigued as they once were after their meals. Keep in mind that your gut is one of the two primary sources of calorie consumption, energy use in the body. Your brain and the gut are number one and number two. And so if you have to work overtime to digest your food, you're going to have less energy for the other biological processes that must happen inside of your body. So if you can aid your body in digesting your food more efficiently, and if your post-gallbladder surgery, ox bile and lipase can be extremely beneficial. Now, what if you've got a gallbladder and all of this information, or, or you don't... Frankly, if you have a gallbladder or you don't have a gallbladder, all this information is useful, but you still struggle with digestion even with a gallbladder. You still feel heavy, gassy, bloated, that kind of thing after meals. Then that's when you want to look at your overall digestive system. And, and first, look at your diet, of course, and especially isolate foods that tend to bother you more and reduce or eliminate those foods from your diet. But second, digestive enzymes, lipase being one of them, but digestive enzymes are just absolutely amazing. They make such a huge difference in how you feel after you eat. They, again, make you feel lighter, make you feel more energized. If you ever eat a lunch and you're like, gosh, I'm tired, I could just take a nap. That's a great indication that you're probably dealing with a di digestive enzyme deficiency. Okay, so those are the big four remedies I wanted to talk about today on Vitality Radio. I hope you enjoyed that. If you have questions, just give us a call, 801-292-6662. We're happy to help you with any questions that you have, or check out vitalityradio.com. We're so excited to have it. Uh, my son, Bridger, and I have been working hard on that thing for mostly him, but you know, I've been involved as well for the last 12, 13 weeks. It's up. It's working. Uh, we've even received some orders and it seems to be working very, very smoothly. And we're just thrilled to finally have a website to serve you better. It's vitalitynutrition.com. Now, I'm going to mention one other thing before I sign out, and that is please do not forget I'm going to be speaking uh, April 22nd and 23rd is the Be Healthy Utah 
conference. It's at the Southtown Expo Center, the Mountain America Center. Uh, if you're here in Utah locally, you don't want to miss it. 35 plus speakers, including Dr. Christopher's son, David Christopher, Christopher is going to be speaking there. Uh, Dr. Cameron, who's my personal physician, is going to be speaking there. He's awesome. Uh, Dr. Casey Oliver, uh, one of the best chiropractors you'll ever run across and an actual neurological uh, chiropractor who's done great, great work for people with traumatic brain injuries and things like that. Lamont Wilcox will be speaking, one of my absolute heroes. He's done so much to help me and help me help others through retraining the brain to give us what we want as opposed to what uh, we keep getting. All of those great, great people will be speaking with me at the Be Healthy Utah conference. You can go to BeHealthyUtah.com. That's BeHealthyUtah.com. And you can use the uh, promo code. The promo code for Vitality Radio listeners is Vitality30. That's Vitality30 um, altogether. And that saves you 17 bucks on admission. Uh, admission for the two days is under 50 bucks anyway. It's a great value. There's going to be over 100 vendor booths there, over 35 speakers. If you're interested in natural and alternative health, you want to be at Be Healthy Utah, April 22nd and 23rd. Uh, as it comes closer, I'll have uh, Dr. Shane Watt uh, and his wife on here talking about the conference. They're the ones that put it together, and they've done a great job. Uh, and I'm also going to share with you an opportunity to win tickets from Vitality Radio. And in addition to that, uh, I'll give you this uh, a closer schedule so you know when I'm actually speaking as well. Okay, I've got to wrap up this show. I hope you enjoyed it. Again, if you have questions, call us 801-292-6662 or check out vitalitynutrition.com. I'm Jared St. Clair. Thank you for listening to me every week. This has been another episode of Vitality Radio. You've been listening to the Vitality Radio podcast. Enjoy your week. In the meantime, Jared will be feverishly searching for the latest nutrition info to educate you on and wading into mounds of propaganda to help steer you through it. Vitality Radio is researched and written by Jared St. Clair. Our awesome music is by Brian Bob Young. Support Vitality Radio by subscribing and giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or your favorite podcast source. Don't forget to follow us at Vitality Radio on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Please let us know your thoughts about this episode by using the hashtag Vitality Radio Podcast. And if you like what you hear, go tell somebody with a share, a screenshot, or an airdrop. Thank you. Hello, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Vitality Radio. Just a reminder that this podcast is for educational purposes only. This podcast has not been evaluated by the FDA. This podcast is provided with the understanding that the information shared is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This podcast is not a substitute for professional care by a medical professional. Thank you.